welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. So everyone's familiar with that term glass ceiling for women as they try to move up that corporate ladder. And for black women, it's not even a glass ceiling. People call it a concrete ceiling or a concrete wall because it's even harder for them to get to the top than white women are. Dr. Simone Phipps is an associate professor of management at Middle Georgia State University in the US. And she is a fellow with the Cambridge Center for Social Innovation at the Cambridge Judge Business School. Her research focuses on management history with a special interest in gender and minority groups. She explores their contributions to the field of management. I began this episode of the Social Ideas podcast by asking Simone how business schools are engaging with the call to decolonize their curricula. Well, really and truly, generally speaking, the entire management curriculum (laughs) doesn't address issues of race, it has omitted the contributions of uh, black people in the past. And uh, so you don't get a complete education and a complete understanding of uh, who contributed to management as the discipline developed, because there are a lot of African-American men as well as women that contributed to management, thought leadership and thought practice, and a lot of Black people, not just in the U.S., but around the world that also contributed. And they're omitted from the curriculum. And so it's important to, to introduce and implement these people into the curriculum so that you can have different perspectives and that you can have a deeper understanding of different contexts. Because as the curriculum is now, you only get one perspective, and that's the white perspective. And uh, so that really doesn't allow you to fully address uh, problems in a number of different contexts uh, because the world is not a monolith. You know, you have people from different places having different experiences, different challenges. And so to address all of these properly, you need to be educated fully to fully understand what everyone's experience is and how you can contribute to that. How does gender and the issues around being a black woman, how do they intersect within the world of business? When you look at the world of business, especially when you look at leadership in business, there's a very significant disparity between women in leadership positions and men in leadership positions. So there's a big gender gap. But then when you look at women specifically, you see that there is also a significant gap between white women and women of color. So there's the gender gap and then there's the race gender gap. And it's not only just in leadership positions at the very top really and truly it starts even from the lower level management positions as you're moving up that hierarchy the number of women start to dwindle as you go higher and higher and the women of color start to dwindle even more as you go higher and higher so everyone's familiar with that term glass ceiling for women as they try to move up that corporate ladder and for black women it's not even a glass ceiling people call it a concrete ceiling or a concrete wall because it's even harder for them 
to get to the top than the white women are. What is that disparity then between white women in leadership and black women in leadership? Well, the disparity, a lot of times, uh, it is caused by perception. First of all, you see the white men at the top a lot because men in general are seen as assertive. They're seen as the natural leaders. And uh, so they are chosen. And also when it comes to power dynamics and selection for leadership positions, remember there's a lot of bias. So you see similar to me bias. So if you have a majority of white men at the top, when they are choosing people to be promoted, if that similar to me bias kicks in, then other white men get promoted and they get the positions. And so women in general end up being left behind because they have less opportunities uh, for mentorship and development, even networking, etc. And so women in general get left behind and then black women get left behind even more because of perceptions. You know, a lot of people see black women as uh, having an attitude or you know, I'm sure you've heard of, you know, the angry black woman, you know, so if you're passionate about something and you're assertive about something, you're angry or you're hostile. Whereas if a man behaves the same way, you know, they're just passionate and they're assertive. They want to get things done. You know, they're not seen as competent black women uh, for those leadership roles. They're seen as unprofessional sometimes. And uh, so that impacts their advancement in the workplace and so that's why at every level the disparity keeps getting increasing getting more and more what can be done do you think then to address that well you know it's it's very easy for people to say you know you know black people and black women you know they just need to be more ambitious, you need, you know, have more leadership ambitions, you know, they need to be less risk averse, you know, take more risks, be confident. And yes, ambition and taking risk, confidence, all of that is important. But uh, I believe it has more to do with the organization and society at large, because uh, there are Black women who are ambitious and taking those risks and they are confident. And those that you may see as not having those leadership ambitions, it may be because of the obstacles they have faced that have really impacted those ambitions and made them feel, you know what, this isn't as attainable, even though I have those ambitions. Uh, so in order for that disparity to be addressed, I really believe at the organizational level, Organizations need to try to have more of a supportive and inclusive culture that truly values diversity in its entirety. You know, not just wanting, you know, the token black woman in a leadership position and choosing that person because that person conforms or is seen as less black, you know. You want to truly have that culture where people feel free to be themselves and black women need to have the same opportunities for mentorship for training and development have opportunities to expand their experiences to have challenging assignments and opportunities for advancement and it's also important that they don't only have the opportunities 
But these opportunities must turn into real positions, right? Because organizations may say, you know, we have opportunities for mentorship and training, etc. But if it doesn't materialize into real advancement, then that really isn't helping the issue. So the organization has to do something for the disparity to be addressed. And society as well because organizations don't exist in a bubble right they exist within society and uh, they impact one another so when you have societal perceptions where black women are seen as incompetent or angry and hostile or unprofessional or having a bad attitude then that is going to seep into organizations and increase the disparity. And when you have societal expectations where Black women are expected to just accept how things are, and they, they, you're upset when they try to self-advocate, because when they self-advocate, they're seen as wanting special treatment, because some people think they're overreacting. You know, everyone doesn't get it. So a lot of people think the reason they're not in those leadership positions is because they don't deserve it because they think that everyone who's in a leadership position is there because it's merit-based, which is not really so. <laughs> uh, so you have to look at society as well as the organization. And so societal perceptions, expectations, even public policy, you know, you can... What do you mean by public policy? Well, public policy is sometimes a certain, you may have to include legislation. And I know that is going to be something that a lot of people are going to be hesitant because many people are not going to agree because they'll say, well, isn't that you know, reverse discrimination if you're going to try to address the issues of Black women's representation by using public policy? But the assumption is that if you have these positions open by merit, then the best person to the job is always going to get it. But merit isn't always the deciding factor because we live in such a biased society. And so everyone, by the way, has biases. <laughs> you know, people might want to say, no, I'm not biased. I don't have a bias, but everyone has biases. So the key really is... Uh, to be aware of your biases and to correct for that bias, but everyone doesn't do that, hence the disparity. So if there is a public policy where you try to address that representation, then you have a chance to actually correct for that bias because we, we just have to do something. You can't just wait and hope and pray that things change. And so for example, let me see if I find an example of public policy. Okay, for example, in some countries, they mandate that a certain percentage of the board of directors of public companies be women because they want more women to have decision-making rules. Because the idea is that if they are making those decisions, then you'll have more women being hired, more women being supported and having chances to advance. The culture is going to be different, more inclusive, because they're going to have a role in shaping the culture. And so if you can do that for the board of directors, mandate a certain percentage, then why can't you do something similar for other management rules? 
for black women, where you have those mandated percentages, you know? So the reason I mentioned public policy is because I do believe that public policy can eventually influence and sway societal perceptions and expectations. Because if the policies are in place and then you have black women rise up the ranks because of them, then society can see how they do, how they perform, the results that come from it. So they can see, you know, you know what? Black women are competent. They are professional. They are getting the job done. And so if that can influence societal perceptions and expectations, then that can also influence organizations and individuals because they all interrelate. Whilst I see and understand the positivity behind that statement, in the past, it's been proven that when something has been mandated in that manner, this is often... Mm -hmm furthered the discrimination and the prejudice and so mm -hmm. how then does a woman a black woman go okay you know what i've got here because somebody says they need x number of women on the board and they need x number of black women on the board does that not then mean that these women are having to work twice as hard again to be taken mm -hmm. seriously right. how do people deal with that then well guess what even without the public policy, they have to deal with it, right? And they still have to work twice as hard to be taken seriously. And when they do get the job, people still wonder if they get the job because they are Black anyway. And so the way I look at it is that if there is public policy to mandate it and there are those questions, let your performance speak for itself. They say, okay, you shoo-shooing behind my back. You're talking. You think I'm just there because of my race. I'm going to kill you with performance. And then when you perform, they will see, okay, well, you know, she's really doing the job. So yes, you're going to have that kind of pushback against it. And people are going to assume that they get the positions because the policy is in place. But the way I look at it, people look at black women that way anyway. <laughs> so policy in place at least is going to right some wrongs. How have you battled this in your own work life? Well, in my work career, I first started off, and this was a very long time ago, right out of high school, you know, before I even came to university, back where I come from in Trinidad and Tobago, I was actually a teacher. Did not do that for a long time. I actually did that for less than a year because I left soon after to come to the States for college. So I didn't have to battle that back in Trinidad and Tobago because uh, I'm not a minority in Trinidad and Tobago. And then when I came to the States, I was fortunate to go to an HBCU undergrad and uh, I did a lot of, of studies. And then my first position in the States was also at an HBCU uh, in the career development office. So I didn't have to worry about that then. But I was able to observe what happens in the US, you know, from talking to my peers at university, from observing, you know, in the news, from doing reading, research, all of that. And uh, so my first job out after my PhD is uh, when I was able to, you know, before I even get to that, I remember doing my MBA. And as an MBA student, 
I also worked as a consultant. That was part of the program in the MBA. And twice during my MBA, I had someone comment on my hair. And uh, that really impacted me, you know, because, uh, you know, this is my hair, you know, <laughs> this is how it grows out of my head. You know, why would someone make a disparaging comment about my hair? So that's when it, it really hit me and affected me personally. I'd heard about it before, but that's when it affected me personally. And so I've been very conscious about how people perceive me. And so when I was finished with my PhD, and I got my first job, I was very conscious of perception. So without even having the full experience in my university, I chose to conform. And uh, so my hair was uh, straight. It was, uh, you know, reflecting the ideal of uh, what professionalism looks like. I did that even before I got there because I wanted to make sure that uh, I wasn't judged because of appearance. However, I must say that I am fortunate to be in an organization where I feel there is inclusivity and there is an understanding of diversity mattering. Uh, so now I actually don't uh, you know, worry about those things. You know, I wear my hair as I, I feel to wear my hair, you know, but uh, I have to admit that I have been more fortunate than other people. And also I have, it has affected me in some ways in that I have been more conscious about what professionalism is in other people's eyes. And I've tried to conform, but other people have had it worse than I have. I know that. It's an interesting point you make about how black women wear their hair, because it is a, it's a very personal thing. It is your hair. But to use that as an example of how black women in particular, in order to progress within their career, is often seem to have to conform. What impact does that have? You know, conforming in order to be successful within your career and losing the personal identity that comes with how you style your hair or how your hair naturally is. Oh, well... <laughs> Of course, they're going to get the satisfaction of achieving whatever their career aspiration is if they do accomplish their career goals because they conform. So they're going to feel good about accomplishing their goals career-wise, but it doesn't come without a price. So there's a price that has to be paid, and it's a huge price. And that price really is a loss of a sense of self because... Personal identity is really important for someone to ascertain who they are. It gives someone a sense of belonging to a community, a sense of value and importance, a sense of confidence as well. And it contributes to someone's overall well-being, you know, when they personally identify as one thing and they can be their true selves. So if they have to give that up and discard who they authentically are in order to conform to certain ideals that not in alignment with their ideals, then it's going to be destructive to them because people want to feel whole, right? So if they are working in a place where they're not allowed to feel whole, then 
their satisfaction levels are going to decrease. They're going to be glad that they're accomplishing their career goals, but they're not going to be fully satisfied with their job, right? And also stress levels. I can see stress levels increasing. And that stress is going to be manifested in a number of ways, whether it's physiological or psychological or even behavioral, you know, in terms of how they behave at work. And it's, it's not only at the individual level that is going to be destructive. People may not think that. They may think, okay, personal identity is a personal thing. So that's their problem, you know, if they feel that way. But it's going to seep in to the organization as well, because if they're not happy, if they're frustrated, if they're stressed, then that is going to be manifested in how they are, the attitude they have at work as well. They, they're not going to be as committed to that organization. They may be committed to their profession, but in terms of commitment to the organization that sees them as inferior or that doesn't allow them to bring their whole self to work, they're not going to feel as valued. So that the commitment is going to go down. And also people may not think about it, but at the societal level, I think that when we, the more people that choose career over personal identity, really and truly that just helps the cycle to continue, right? Because if everyone decides to conform, then that's just going to reinforce and perpetuate the societal values and ideals that don't genuinely embrace diversity. So I think that that really has an impact when you have to choose career over personal identity. It impacts the person, but it also has ramifications for the organization and for society that people think about. Is there a place or a space within leadership roles or leadership environments and business environments whereby black women are able to invoke their own agency? <laughs> so it's challenging, of course. And it's not going to be the same for every organization. Some organizations, it's going to determine the numbers that they have there in terms of the quantity of black women, you're going to have to think about the actual culture in the organization. Some cultures are going to facilitate that more. And so it's definitely going to be challenging. But black women certainly have to try to invoke their own agency. So something as simple as being allies for one another, you know, trying to band together and work together to support each other and to uplift one another, you know, something as simple as if you're a black woman and you're in a position to speak up in favor of or support of another black woman who's being overlooked, even though she's deserving, then you should speak up. If you have the ability to be a mentor or a coach or to provide a promotion or advancement opportunity for a deserving black woman, then you shouldn't overlook that. You shouldn't think, I wonder how it will look, because some people might think about that, you know, as a black woman, and I'm promoting another black woman, people will say that I'm being biased. But uh, you have to try to not look at it that way, because the other way, they don't seem to consider it <laughs> that much, which is why there's such a disparity, right? My research partner and I, we really believe in cooperative advantage, that idea of benefiting by unifying and cooperating. And uh, so I think in terms of Black women invoking their own agency, it's important not to have that 
crab in a barrel syndrome thinking, you know, I have to claw my way to the top. And if I pull someone else down, that's okay. So try to support each other and build each other up. And with that being said, though, I want to acknowledge that if there is a black woman in position who people may feel isn't doing enough to support other black women, that you shouldn't be too quick to judge, however, because you didn't ask, you know, how easy that it is to invoke that agency. Because just because a black woman has position, it doesn't mean she has the full power that comes with position, right? You know, she may be also dealing with her own obstacles in that leadership position, her own pushbacks, her own politics that you may not be aware of. Yes, it is challenging. At the same time, things really have to change, both the organizational level and the societal level. So it's, it's definitely not only about agency. I really want to stress that fact. We have to try to have that agency, but it's not only about that. You know, the organization has a role to play and society has a role to play as well. That was Dr. Simone Phipps, Associate Professor of Management at Middle Georgia State University in the U.S., You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.